And welcome back, everyone, to the Cold War Cast. I am your host, Ryan Llewellyn. This is a podcast where we discuss the history and the pop culture of the Cold War. We have a fun little bit of Cold War history today. And this is from the early era of American civil defense. And we're talking about the Conrad system, which was a planned alert system put out by the U.S. government at the end of 1951 in order to get the word out to the American public in the event of an impeding Soviet attack. The American government had a problem. And the problem was there was no way to effectively and promptly communicate with the American public in the event of a a big disaster, (laughs) or rather a, a big disaster heading the American public's way. Now, with what they had before Conrad, there were a couple of problems. They could issue an emergency bulletin that bombers were coming in and give information to the public as to what to do now, you know, and that these atomic bombs were heading their way. That would have involved sending out notices to all the TV and radio stations. And, you know, of course they would have picked it up and could have been kind of a haphazard ordeal. But the main problem here wasn't necessarily that it would be disorganized. It was the potential for Soviet bombers incoming to use radio direction in order to find their targets. So if you think about it, radio stations generally aren't located in the middle of nowhere. They're clustered around major cities. And it would have been possible for the Soviet bombers to tune into radio, known radio frequencies and you know, and then other ones and able to triangulate the general location of where they were heading with the bomb. So, you know, let's say, for example, they were going to nuke Seattle or something per se. They could fly over and if they knew that this radio station was at, you know, this and this, and then they could get to Seattle where they could drop their bomb fairly easily. And, you know, keep in mind, this is before the days of GPS, and we knew that Soviet bombers would use this, this technology, or not technology, this method to find their targets or confirm their targets because, well, we did it in World War II when we were bombing Germany. That's one of the ways that we would home in on major cities was by listening into radio frequencies. So the Conrad system that they put in place was going to make this very difficult for the Soviet bombers to use this. They would have to um, find their targets by a little bit trickier means, you know, either <laughs> keeping, uh, keeping tabs on a map um, or finding landmarks to, um, to, to base off of, just as we did in, in World War II. Um, I know they were talking, uh, I forgot what city it was, probably several, but in Germany, where they thought it was a miracle that the giant old uh, medieval church in their uh, city wasn't blown up during these massive bombing raids. But it wasn't necessarily that the church was spared by divine intervention or whatever. It was because the American uh, bombers were using that church as a... um, 
a, a navigation point, you know, to, to find other targets based off from there. So the Soviets would have to do something like that. Anyway, this is how Conrad will work. And by the way, Conrad stands for Control of Electronic Radiation. And, um, you know, they just throw it together in classic Cold War style on both sides of the Iron Curtain by um, cramming these words together to m make it into something that maybe kind of in a weird way makes a little more sense. So there were direct phone lines between the American military and civil defense authorities and key uh, radio stations. Now, in the event of emergency, it, the, the bulletins would go out and the FM stations and TV stations were to go off air. And then later in Conrad's existence, um, amateur radio as well was to go off air too. And only these key AM stations would be online. Now, the, a the key stations would have relay stations, which would be other AM stations in their area that they would have a direct line of communication with, that they would, via phone, phone lines, and they would communicate with them that way and, and pass on the messages. So what would happen is the key station would start broadcasting information that came from the government authorities. And they would do it on two different radio stations, two different um, uh, frequencies. That would be 640 AM and 1240 AM. And it was made known through um, advertising campaigns or um, public service campaigns, I guess you would say, that these were the two radio stations. And from 1953 through 1963, all radios uh, made and sold in America were to have the civil defense markings on these two frequencies. And a lot of times you could see this if you find old radios that were made between 1953 and 63. And, um, you know, if you actually physically see a radio or sometimes I've even seen it in movies as well, too. But there was a little triangle with a circle at both ends of the dial where 640 and 1240 are. So people knew that that's where you tune in in the event of a uh, impeding civil defense event. Anyway, the key station would broadcast whatever it would have to say in a format like this. It would be on for five seconds, then they would shut off the station for five seconds, then turn it back on and just broadcast the tone for 15 seconds. So it would be very choppy, and the reason why they would do this is because it would make it so if Soviet bombers were trying to hone in on the radio frequencies, they would get confused and probably not be able to pick up the signal for long enough to, to really home in on it. The key station would go on for several minutes, um, you know, not sure exactly what several is, you know, let's just say five, 10 minutes. And then what they would do is they would pass on to the relay stations. So they would shut off their stations and then the relay stations would start broadcasting on those same frequencies and maintain that same format 
and then it would pass on to different stations and so on and so on in a round round robin format. So obviously places with uh, you know bigger metropolitan areas maybe with uh with more stations would kind of be in a longer loop but maybe smaller areas with fewer stations eh, you know maybe the loop would be a little bit shorter there. I'm not exactly sure how that works. Now, this system wasn't exactly foolproof. For one, shutting the station off and on so frequently was hard on the equipment. And sometimes during tests, they, they would have failures. There were also a lot of, um, I guess you would say, nodes in the network where there could be potential failure. And what I mean by this is possibly one station not relaying the message or getting the message or even in some cases getting false messages. There were a couple of incidents of false alarms during Conrad's time. There was one I read about where instead of sending uh, the civil defense authorities, instead of sending their test um, bulletin, to one, I, I believe it was in um, the uh, Michigan's Upper Peninsula and Green Bay area, that they sent one saying that this was the real thing, basically. Instead of a test, it said, like, um, incoming attack or whatever. And the stations in the area actually did go through with, uh, with, with the procedures that they would do during the event of an actual attack. And, you know, it took them about 20 minutes to figure out it wasn't a real thing. There was also another one uh, at about the same time where an alert went out and the alert itself was really short and I, I think retracted pretty much right off the bat. And it was seen as kind of a failure because some aspects of the Conrad system kicked in and at other stations they saw the report and, and should have kicked Conrad in but were kind of confused and maybe... Um, they they sent the wrong warning messages to like kind of like a reduced one or something, even though it was the message for a real thing. So when they did an autopsy of this mistake, they said that like yeah, this um, could be a this could be a problem that it's there's this gray area on all these individual nodes that that could cause the problems. Now, Colonel Rad, it was phased out in 1963 and replaced with the emergency broadcast system. And then later on, the emergency alert system, you know, kind of the same thing. Um, and the reason Colonel Rad was phased out was pretty much due to technology. We had better communications within our country and were able to... Um, have a, a more centralized message get out later on. And primarily the reason it changed was because intercont intercontinental ballistic missiles. So we believed, or rightfully so, that in the event of attack, they would primarily come from Soviet missiles. Well, the missiles don't really care um, about the radio. The missiles already know where they're going. So um, it was kind of kind of pointless to um, take these precautions with our radio. Might as well just uh, send the message out to everybody on every medium you can. And one thing I'll add about Conrad, 
that makes it different from the emergency broadcast system, emergency alert system, is that Conrad was solely for defense purposes. So now today, if the emergency broadcast system can get on and you know, re- report on uh, natural disasters or anything like that. So it has a much wider usage. And um, Conrad was, was just a fence. If that went off, um, you knew World War III was happening, basically. Today, we pretty much all have cell phones in our pocket. And it's possible if the government wants to send a message to everybody that it can be done via cell phones. And most famous, I mean, that sounds like that's, that's a good thing. And, you know, I'm sure for the most part it is. But what's also kind of interesting, too, are these false alerts that happened during the age of Conrad. Um, they get out to everybody instead of being filtered out as they were during um, you know, one of the uh, false alarms during Conrad. And, you know, I'm thinking of, I believe it was in 2016 or 17, but when North Korea launched a, a missile and uh, a warning went out, and this was during a, a kind of a tense period, but a warning went out to the people of Hawaii that a North Korean missile was incoming. And there's all kinds of stories from that. It was in the middle of the night of people um pulling over to the side of the road and jumping in the ditches and basically kissing their asses goodbye because nuclear Armageddon is coming. So um, the possibility for false alarms being filtered out at one of these bigger nodes isn't quite there like it used to be, but the authorities can speak to us directly now as opposed to going through these nodes. So probably a double-edged sword. Now, when I look at all this about Conrad, and I can't help but to think about 50 science fiction and, you know, the science fiction films of the area. And one of the major themes was always that our ability to wage war was more advanced than us as as humans, that by entering into the atomic era, era and still having like a primitive mindset or whatever, we were playing with something we shouldn't be. And when I, I look at the communication technology that was available during the early ages of the atomic, the early atomic age, I think it's interesting that we were trying to do space age things with pre-World War II era technology, essentially. I think there's something in there that we had the potential to go across the world to blow people up, but maybe communicating with people in our own country, let alone the other side of the world, wasn't exactly a foolproof thing. So maybe those old misanthropic sci-fi movies from the 50s were really on to something. All right, so I'm going to leave it there. I just want to do a quick episode and talk about Conrad. It's just a um, kind of interesting little tidbit of uh, American civil defense and Cold War history that uh, deserves a little bit of light shined on it. I will be back very soon with a new episode. 
if you want to get in touch with me, the best way to connect is find me on Instagram under Cold War Cast or Twitter under The Cold War Cast. If you want to support this podcast financially, the best way you can do that is go to reddragonherbs.net and get yourself some tea or get somebody you love some tea. This is our family business, so you're dealing with me and my wife directly. And um, if you need any recommendations, of course, you can always get in touch and we'll take care of that. I know the holidays are coming up pretty soon, so maybe it's a good gift idea for somebody. All right, that's all I've got. I will talk to you later. Thanks for listening.